Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. Basic hip. This is episode 594 for the 6th of April 2022. I want to preface this interview by saying that I don't care much for the hype machine or popular opinion, and am led predominantly by my interest in an artist and the question of whether or not I enjoy their music. Such was the case when a publicist contacted me about one of their artists, a very capable musician with a pretty banal musical approach. I explained to the publicist the kind of music I enjoyed, and she cleverly pitched me another of her artists, the Durham-raised, London-based pianist Paul Edis. I hit play and was captivated for the duration of Paul's new album, The Still Point of the Turning World. The solo piano record is all at once reflective, with a lilting charm and an ability to encourage the listener to pause and slow down. Suffice to say, I wanted to talk to Paul about his beautiful compositions, his musical trajectory and his creative approach. Thanks to all the publicists who persevere and pitch with thought. Here is my conversation with Paul.
Cletus, hi and welcome to the Jazz Session. Hello. It's such a treat to have you here and as I just said to you, off mic, if I was in London and I'd discovered your music as I have now, I would most likely reach out to you via email and say, hi, I'm Nikki and I'm also a musician and I love your music and would you like to meet for a coffee? So we're going to try and capture that as best as we can now. Um, to hopefully bring Great. people that that very raw and unfiltered conversation unfiltered coffee yeah exactly <laughs> the only thing they won't have is is tinkling in the backgrounds and the sounds of um milk foamers going off at intermittent <laughs> intervals paul you're a pianist you're based in london mm-hmm. yeah and i wanted to tell people how i came to your music because i think that demystifying any of the, well, how do we find the musicians that we find and how do our ears end up falling on the albums that they fall on uh, is kind of fascinating, If perhaps, if one is not aware of it. Anyway, the point is, I was in contact with your publicist because of the nature of this podcast, and she had very nicely sent me the music of somebody else that she was working with. And I have a policy where I don't leave anyone hanging and... If somebody is quite persistent with a specific artist or album, I will write back to them and say, listen, it's not a fit. And I will try and tell them why, because otherwise there's no way we're going to have a relationship that develops in any efficient way. And I'm about maximum efficiency. So I just said to her, you know, this this is lovely music. It's not for me. I'm much more interested in contemporary jazz music, specifically people who are taking the tradition and doing something new with it or are writing original music that is clearly founded in some good foundational concepts. So she wrote back and she said, thank you so much for letting me know. That's no problem. I understand. Maybe this will be more up your alley. And she sent me a link to your new solo album. And I I will do at least 15 seconds of everything I'm sent, more or less. And I grabbed my tea, clicked the link, pressed play. The opening track is a tune of yours called Dig Deep. And I stopped in my tracks, I got goosebumps, I sat down, I breathed deeply, and I was like, oh, I love this music. So I obviously emailed your publicist back and I was like, yeah, that's right up my alley. Who is Paul? Would he like to come on the show? And that's how we find ourselves here today. And I'm just so delighted because this is the sort of stuff that excites me about podcasting and listening to so much music and getting to know so many new people, yourself included. So Paul, to you, for folks who don't know you, I asked you hesitantly, or I said hesitantly, you're in London, going up at the end because it was a question. But but tell us about you. Where in England do you come from? Um, where did you study? Where do you find yourself now? Well, um, first of all, before I get to that, it's great you thought all of that. I mean, that that is that's exactly what you want to hear. Um, that people want to listen to your music and that they get goosebumps and everything else. So that that's a very good start. <laughs> um, but yeah, just so just about about me. Um, the it sort of tied in really nicely with the album because I actually was based in the northeast of England near um. Well, actually, I've lived in various places up there near near Newcastle in a place called Tymouth up until March twenty twenty. Um, when I made the decision to move to London, which, um, well, I made the decision a little earlier, but you know that was the that was the move. Um, and within two weeks, everything stopped. Um, so that was a a bit of a surprise. Um, but 
you know, we'll get get to that later on, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, so I was um I actually did study in in London. Um, initially, I studied undergraduate composition um, at the uh, what was the London College of Music. I think that's it's, it's still got that title. It's, it's connected to the University of West London, so not one of the kind of main conservatoires. And actually, funnily enough, I went there really with this mindset that I was going to be a film composer and that I was into it was all about composition. Um, but before before I'd, I'd even got to that point, I'd already been improvising and um, playing in sort of bands I'd set up and things. And, and I remember sort of, I think one of my GCSE performances transcribing some of Fungi Mama, the, the Kenny Barron recording. And so I was obviously clearly a jazz head without realizing it, but I was also doing this composition thing. Um, so I was in London for that, in West London, and then um, went back to the Northeast after studying um, up to Durham, and then began studying more, uh, doing another MA and then a PhD in composition. So loads of composition um, for about five more years. Um, so yeah, I was then based up in the Northeast from 2006 up until March 2020, um, in which time I, I did various, you know, I was involved in various bands setting up concert series and as a, as a promoter writing music and doing all sorts but yeah come come 2020 that I sort of decided it was time I wanted to do something different and get stuck into London um again as a sort of mature musician ish <laughs> um so yes I'm definitely now based in London but I I'm, I've definitely got a lot of um connections still in in the northeast of of, of the UK um that makes so much sense to me, Paul, now that you say your initial foray was perhaps going to be into film composition and then, you know, you did swim in the composition waters for a great many years because uh, I love film composition as well, film scoring. And so that really comes across in how your melodies are written and your, I think, the strength of the melodic content on this album which is certainly what spoke to me i think um amongst other things as well so you never actually studied jazz formally then well not really it's a slightly odd thing because i did go along to lots of the jazz stuff that was going on so i used to go along to the jazz workshops with um pete cook who would lead those and eddie harvey as well was doing stuff at that point um and and i had a few you know one or two lessons with him and and when i was at york um the pianist john taylor um, was there doing um, teaching and so it got a, a couple of you know one-to-ones with him and it's just this kind of patchwork thing of, of um, asking people here and there just for bits of advice and things and, and having as well when I was in London in my sort of second year of university around about February um, sort of halfway through the year I got a, a regular gig um, with a long-time associate now a guy called Vasilis Xenopoulos a, a saxophone player an amazing musician and and he kind of put me right in a sense as well in that um what i mean is we had this weekly i think we used to play three hours every week on a sunday and we just worked through loads of standards every week and he would sort of just say do you know this one no okay here we go one two <laughs> you know and and i just had to kind of figure a lot of it out i think as as it as it went but it was a great great education that actually i definitely recommend it to anyone um, just go and play as much as you can um, <laughs> and play these tunes, you know, play these standards and, and, and loads of, we do, we do loads of blues and rhythm changes and things as well um, for, for people having their Sunday brunch, funnily enough. But yeah, it was good. Very good. Well, it's clearly stood you in good stead. What were your lessons with John like? Oh, well, 
I mean, John, some, somehow John Taylor's one of those people, um, was one of those people who just it was so humble, um, so incredibly, there was nothing about him the way he was in the room that you'd think, unless you knew that you've sat there with this incredible musician. Um, and, and it was more just a case of kind of, like I played him some of my music, um, talked a bit, um, talked about things like, um, uh, is is swing still a thing is you know all these kind of concepts that particularly as a um someone in this world you know trying to make your way doing um i think perhaps maybe in in, in britain as well rather being in america this kind of thing of what what is this thing that i'm doing is it does it make any sense anymore am, am i am i mad basically by pursuing this thing um and and what as, as well i suppose what getting to grips with that idea of what you're allowed to do or what you're not allowed to do, which in, in a way I know is a, is a stupid thing to say, but it is a lot of these things play in your mind. I think when you, when you, when you start finding your way. Um, so yeah, John, John was fantastic at just sort of just being a sounding board, if, if nothing else. And he's sort of showing me one or two things. Like I remember him sort of sitting down and just playing a chord, for example, it was, it was out some, I can't remember what it was. It was something from Messian's mode three or something. It was one of one, I don't know, it was one of the ones that not many people know, you know, with with extra notes in. Um, and a similar thing actually had a, a, a very sort of important kind of one-to-one -one with Jason Rabello at one point. Um, and again, I hardly did any playing in the course of the lesson, but but it, it was so good just to talk to him about what we do and, and how, how all this stuff works and, and addressing things like I say, uh, he sort of picked me up on saying the word should, you know, should you be doing this? Should you? And and really opening up a lot of the philo philosophical side, I suppose, of, of what we're doing um, and why we're doing it. British do you feel when you're making 
oh, let's just call it, I guess, improvised music. Because I'm fascinated by, in jazz, there are universal ideas and notions, many of which it sounds like John and Jason spoke about the idea of swing feel, the idea of what we do when we're creating original melodies, when we're improvising, and, and all musicians think, should I be doing that? Should I stop that? You have that inner dialogue and you try to sort of tune that out as much as you can so that you can just see what comes to the fore. I do think that there are differences uh, depending on where you are when you're making this music. And kind of what does being British mean to you within that context of also being a jazz musician? Um, that's kind of a... That's a funny, yeah, I know exactly why what you mean, but in, at the same time, it's a funny concept because I suppose, because for one thing, when I, for example, going back to those regular weekly gigs I used to do, I was playing with a, a Greek who'd live, who lived in London, who'd studied in Boston, playing the music of um, the sort of Tin Pan Alley, you know, all these great standards and everything made famous by African-American musicians. So, I mean... It, it's a, it's very hard to pin it down, I suppose. But there is this kind of British, I think the word pastoral always gets used, um, sensibility. And in the you know in the classical side of things, because I love classical music as well. I, I I love the music of Vaughan Williams and 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 you know that that kind of um, sound too. Um, so there is a kind of British thing. But I, I suppose um, I re I just love the kind of the the swing feel uh that, that kind of contemporary jazz that comes from more i think feels like it comes from america i find myself listening to lots of americans um whereas i feel like there's this a lot of this thing about should and what are you allowed to do i think was more this thing of me when i was having a crisis of should i be playing more kind of free improv more kind of i don't know outside the box stuff that am i you know am i too am i too square am i too inside you know and and not not feeling comfortable in in just the idea of i can just write what i like and that's fine really <laughs> um yeah absolutely but i do think the fact that you even had those questions of self and that you clearly have um very good self-perception which includes having self-doubt and asking those questions i think is good i think it makes you a more intelligent musician and i i'm often very in awe of Jazz, jazz musicians, not always young, but often it's the, the generation below mine where I think, gosh, I was not like that when I was 18, who don't seem to get tripped up and have those moments of kind of reflectiveness and should I, could I, you know, would I? They just kind of just go out there, I guess, balls to the walls. So I do think it says something about you as a person and as a thoughtful artist somebody who's making music that you have those conversations with yourself uh, because i think they're very human and i think they're very normal and i think they're very important as well and i'm sure that you find that dealing because i know that you teach as well um it's important to have that out by yourself but then also with somebody else is even more valuable to have that sounding board yes yeah no i mean it, it's 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 essential really to always have that kind of it's the balance of self-doubt if you don't have the self-doubt there on some level you would never you would stop practicing i suppose you'd think well i've 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 learned everything now i'm perfect but that self-doubt that thing of you you um bruce adams a, a trumpeter described it as the, the thing about the horizon 
you know, you, you're always looking and, and, and you arrive at this point, but by the time you arrive at this point, you then see another thing on the horizon that you think, or, or you just hear more, you know, I, I feel like as I've got older, my ears have got more and more um, aware of things that I, I couldn't hear when I was younger. Um, I remember people, for example, talking about playing um, ahead or behind of the beat, you know, all this kind of concept. And I, I was sort of like, going, what are you talking about? I don't know what you mean. But now I can, obviously I can hear those things now and, um, or even intonation, just people being, are they perfectly in tune? Are they just a bit sharp? All that kind of stuff. Um, it's all about taking the time to develop, I suppose. Would you call yourself a jazz musician now, today? How would you describe yourself? Um, I certainly get listed as that. It's funny because um, everybody I know has this, I think, has this thing nowadays of, because we all, we all have portfolio careers. So I have been introduced once as a music teacher, which, which for some reason made me kind of twitch when I heard that, <laughs> even though I do teach music. But it's that thing of, yeah, if somebody says you're a jazz musician, it's like, well, yeah, I am. That's true. But I, I can do all these other things. And also the word jazz, I, you know, it's been, this, there's been a discussion for so long, hasn't it? Um, can mean so many people, so many things to so many people. So there's a particular kind of, um, I don't know, person normally of the classical persuasion who might hear that and think, oh, well, so you can't do all this stuff as well, or you're not interested in this stuff. So it's, it, it's a, yeah, it's a funny thing how you describe yourself, but, but yes, I, I, I'm definitely nowadays, um, I, I play jazz and I, I write things that, um, that are jazz and involve improvisation. But I do also still write things occasionally that are completely notated and, and don't involve improvisation. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite as, as easy as you'd ever want it to be, I think, how you describe yourself. <laughs> Truer words were never spoken. I was gonna say a man after my own heart. Um, I do agree with you. I think music teacher has implications, whereas jazz musician is a much larger, wider umbrella. And I think for anybody who knows of or knows any jazz musicians, you know that under that umbrella, almost all jazz musicians teach in some way, whether it's steady teaching or masterclass teaching, or it only happens over the summer, whatever. So it does, it kind of allows you more wriggle room, whereas music teacher does make me think, and I mean, thank gosh for them, of the music teachers who teach class music, you know, from, you know, through, through school. Um, Paul, why a solo album and why now? Um, well, uh, in in essence, because there was never a better time to record a solo album. Um, so Fair. having having moved to London in March 2020, uh, after two weeks when everything stopped, I, um, I did do um, regular live streams uh, where I'd, I'd sit and play for an hour every week, um, just playing all sorts of stuff, initially requests. And then I, I got to the point of just looking through real books, thinking, what can I play? And just and finding out all sorts of new repertoire. Um, but I suppose throughout that period then from, um, from March till then the recording, which was in February of this year, 2021, I, I just did so much solo piano playing that I, I really feel I kind of moved on, you know, progressed in a way that w when the idea of recording an album came up, it, it seemed like, well, this is definitely a very good point to record a solo album just, just to, um, just to, to, to make a note of um what i'm doing now and what it sounds like and also all this repertoire that i'd kind of stumbled across and and the new music that i'd been written i'd been writing you know d during that period too because it to keep myself sane and and in a 
in a funny sort of a way because there was just so much time you know it was it was a bit like being a teenager at points um i haven't felt like that for years where i've just got all this time to get up and think maybe i'll just write something or i'll do something with the loop pedal or i'll do you know there's just acres of space to to think and, and try new ideas um which is one of the obviously clear benefits of of what happened with with covid so um hence the solo album yeah A quick note from me, Nikki, to tell you how you can best support the jazz session if that's something that tickles your fancy. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of listeners who are so enthused by these conversations that they head over to Patreon to join the Jazz Session's Patreon page. They become patrons. If you go to thejazzsession.com slash join, that's thejazzsession.com slash join, it will link you to the Patreon page and you'll be able to find out more about how you can become a member for as little as five dollars per month today so please do head over to that link if that sounds interesting and enticing to you there are all sorts of perks to be had and there are only two tiers of membership five dollars a month or ten dollars a month take your pick the other way that you can support the podcast is by rating or reviewing the podcast wherever you get your podcasts this takes a matter of seconds rating it to be specific and it helps with the podcast's visibility on web pages in searches it helps other folks who might be interested in these conversations find the podcast really important and invaluable in the world of podcasting the other way you can support this show is by tweeting facebooking or instagramming about the show at large or about specific episodes that you know you really enjoy so please do feel free to give the show a shout out and if you tag the jazz session on any of those social media platforms i'll be sure to repost your wonderful praise and gladly so so thank you for listening and for any support that you may show the podcast now or in the near future now back to my conversation with paul 
So it's kind of just beautiful timing to offer up something sonically that has space, but obviously also has information, musical information in it, but does, as I said before, and I'll say it again, it provides something of a respite for people who want it. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I, I saw that there was a clip the other day of, um, on I think it was on Twitter, of, of Bill Evans' trio playing a um, ballad, you know, and it's this idea of the ultra-slow ballad. And it made me think of this this thing about sonority over virtuosity and i think that's very much the way i think nowadays and 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 what i've tried to do with this album or you know really just try to hear the piano and and what i'm saying through it and let the sounds um let the voicings be heard you know let the the melodies you know rather because because you it's so easy to to not do that i suppose and treat the piano like this kind of machine um, I think as Hal Galper calls it, you just kind of bash notes out of it. Um, so yeah, it's all, all about sound and, and space within that to, to hear that beautiful Steinway um, resonating. And when you start your podcast, Paul, there's your title, Sonority Over Virtuosity. <laughs> Okie doke. Branded, done. In terms of inspiration and I suppose pianists, you mentioned John Taylor and Jason Robello. You also mentioned that you are influenced by American, I guess, pianists and, and certainly the composers who've penned the American songbook. Um, who are some of your influences? I mean, I would also include in that who are some of your songwriter influences because you are also a, a songwriter. These tunes are structured like well-crafted songs. Um, whatever that means to anybody. To me, it means there's a very strong beginning, a middle and an end. I don't sort of get lost as a listener in the middle because the improv stretches on ad nauseum. And to me, it also means that the structure of the melody, there's something very, um, yeah, well-crafted about it, finely thought. So that's why I would define you as a songwriter as well. So tell me about that. Well, I mean, I, I am actually a songwriter as well, funnily enough. Um, it, it, literally, I've, <laughs> um, this is something that's kind of developed in the last, um, I don't know, five years or so at the most, uh, where, where I've, because I've, I've always, I've always written um, music to words um, when, it, when it's come about, when it's happened. And, in, and for example, in the, in the last year, I've worked with uh, vocalist Joe Harrop, who's also on the Lateralize um label and and she sent me some lyrics and we've we've you know i've written the music to it and so i, I do that as well and, and i think a lot of that approach structurally anyway comes back to the great american songbook thing um or maybe that with a bit of a twist here and there um and then um in a more general way i, I do also write lyrics now um i've written some songs with lyrics um too um and and that's quite an interesting process obviously because then you're if it's if it's a music and lyrics and there's two people involved there's always this kind of give and take thing whereas if it's just me i can kind of edit as i go along um but uh as well as that i suppose go, going back to just instrumental music and, and composition in general and influences um it, when it comes to melody there's there's all that tradition as well yeah but there's i mean people like mozart you know i i when i was teaching much more composition one when it came to melody i used to use um the slow movement of mozart's clarinet concerto just just the sort of first i think 16 or 32 bars and i would kind of actually analyze the shape literally just the the kind of 
symmetry and all that in in his writing um i think you can learn so much about melody just thinking of it in a very almost mathematical way when you look at these shapes and these sense of logic um so th there's there's loads basically from all of that as well from the kind of classical thing um and you know when i was at doing composition at undergraduate in particular we you know, studied um list and Stravinsky and all, all that kind of stuff that people do on a classical sort of degree um it, yeah otherwise in in the in the jazz world it's it's all all sorts really but in terms of players I always come back to and, and people always tell me as well <laughs> they always say oh I can hear Bill Evans um which is you know a big influence um but I but I love I, I kind of love the people you know with fairly diverse um personalities i suppose musical personalities i've got i really love thelonious monk um and you in a way those two musical personalities are so different but i, th I think they're both there in my playing at points um i love oscar pete's and phineas newborn jr art tatum you know the, and then sort of in a, in a more modern um context someone like brad melder i'm always kind of trying to figure out what he's doing um in both the Virt virtuosity side of things he's got that absolutely nailed he seems to be able to do anything um but the amount of space he leaves as well at points is is i, I remember the the art of trio i think volume one that is it blame blame it on my youth just sort of listening to that and points and, and thinking how is he leaving that much space i don't know how you do that um so there's there's yeah a complete mishmash of influences i suppose um I don't know if that answers what you just asked me, but <laughs> yeah, it does. Lots of influences there, and also yeah, wide ranging. Um, and people will listen to excerpts of the music from this album throughout this interview. And I'm sure that now that you've said that, they'll listen in a different way and clock different references and influences. And in terms of songwriters, I should mention Paul. Actually, your Instagram tagline is "Music and Words," which is it in a nutshell, right? Um, what makes a good song to you? Um, so if it's a song and it, yeah, and it's got words, then everything needs to, I mean, I suppose this is true of anything. Everything needs to help each other say the most with the least, um, that, you know, that expression less is more. So the lyrics, although, although you, if you write poetry and just stick it into music, it doesn't necessarily behave in the same way as as I think if you write lyrics, what my experience of that is I, I used to be able to write poems for years, but I found lyrics really hard. Um, and, and even though that, even though lyrics can be poetic, there is a kind of, there's something slightly different there, I think. Um, and it's really easy with lyrics to suddenly feel like you're becoming very, um, cliched and, and all that. So it's, it's trying to be very honest and, and get everything, like I say, to, to marry up in such a way that you say something, um interesting and, and say the most with with what you can so um if um for example yeah there's a song joe i, I wrote with joe um harrop uh, called if i knew she sent me the lyrics and it's you could read from the page to, uh, these are very emotional lyrics um and my response to that was straight away to think well how can i convey the the sadness in this and and for some reason um here's an example of the weird education i've had i remembered something about the 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 teardrop motif from um renaissance music or something like that and this idea of a melody that keeps going down um like the sort of tears on a cheek and that that became the kind of shape of this melody 
um, that it's kind of like constantly, like, yeah, you can hear the crying in, in the words, if you see what I mean. Um, and then there's all, you know, things like word painting, I suppose, just trying to make sure that, what you know, the direction of the melody, how it relates to the the lyrics as well. So it, it's it's that. And, and I suppose there's such a big thing with structure as well. So what was... I felt was really neat with that song, um, even if I do say so myself, <laughs> was that I managed to we managed to kind of get the the return of the first section, so you get this kind of cyclical thing, and I think that's a big part of of just structures in general. We love that feeling of coming home, um, you know, the, the recapitulation of some description, even if it's like I say with this kind of twist that you you didn't expect, but it's some sense of returning to a, um, where you were at the start. Who are some of the lyricists that you like? I suppose the the lyricist side of things, a lot of my reference again would be the Great American Songbook. Um, and I, I did this whole series of um, one of the things I did with my Patreon account and to keep me occupied during lockdown is I, I did every letter of the alphabet. I, I picked a, a tune, a standard of some description and um, recorded my own version and then and then sort of looked up some stuff about the song and some versions um and one of one that really sticks and i it's just incredible image is from um everything happens to me is the image um i've mortgaged all my castles in the air which is just so kind of dense as it like brilliant in an as an image you know there's, there's a lot to take in there and it's funny because I, as a as a pianist obviously i've accompanied um loads of singers before and 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 you sort of hear like i've probably played that tune loads of loads of times but when i was reading through these lyrics and really thinking about it i thought that's so so clever um for, for just a throwaway line in the bridge really um so i, I think is that tom adair or um, i can't remember who wrote which bit in that um everything happens to me it's tom adair and matt dennis wrote the music yeah those are great lyrics uh, and any contemporary lyricist? I mean, because I'm a bit of a songwriter nut and I have, like, real sort of firm favourites, you know, genre aside. There, there are people where I just, I hear the lyrics and I think, oh, I wish I'd written that. Actually, I, I'm I'm pretty rubbish at contemporary stuff a lot of the time. But I tell you, I, I did see a whole thread one day on Taylor Swift lyrics. Um, oh, interesting. Which made me think I really need to go and listen to more Taylor Swift, just in terms of the use of um, various devices from, from English language, you know, um, not just, you know, uh, onomatopoeia or whatever. There's loads of techniques there in the lyrics. Um, so th there's, a, there's something a bit left field for you. <laughs> That's interesting, and all the listeners are going to go from here to listening to Taylor Swift with now a keen ear, thanks to that. If I knew that would be the last time I would have held you much closer if I knew deeper if I knew I wish I'd lingered a little longer with my gaze I wish I'd told you all the things I couldn't say 
of my days If I knew That would be the last time I would have tried To remember The warmth of your hand Your skin on mine To touch you Say goodbye If only I knew What surprised you about recording this album? Do you like the album? I, I, I'm very proud of it actually. I'm, I'm really pleased with it. I, I think the, the most interesting thing is I, I mentioned the, the live streams that I was doing. I, originally so on on the day of recording i had so much material that i thought i was going to record including various other standards um and just as the day went on and as i was doing it it became increasingly clear that actually i didn't want to do various tunes and certain ones made more sense than others and so much of it has ended up being original material um which i'm you know, as I say, I'm really, really proud of what's on there. And I think it kind of works really well. Um, and, and has a kind of, um, a lot of this I only realized after I'd done the recording as well. It has a kind of simple, uh, simple approach in at points, you know, this I've, I've mentioned about the idea of less is more and not and sonority over virtuosity. Um, which I only realized thinking back to a solo, a double solo album I did, a few years ago now um probably 2013 2015 i think um was the was the other two that i did which um i think whilst i was recording that i was much more conscious of of the idea of oh i should have this on the album or maybe i should do this and you know the word should again whereas this time it was much more i want to do these tunes and i want to play them like this and i think that's nice <laughs> i um, think you should be well chuffed yeah, absolutely. That that wasn't a trick question. I'm, I was just yeah, genuinely curious because I think it's great. I heard a snippet of your EPK that is preceding the album release and, and in it you said that the most important thing about music is that it should move you. So when you're moved by something that you hear, what is it that has made you react in that way, do you think? Um, I think if we knew that, uh, we'd all be millionaires no i mean you can sometimes pin it down i think you can pin down that something happens but it's normally an accumulation of a thing or a mix of things so it might be um it might be the moment where the drummer goes from um brushes to sticks on on the cymbals there's just this moment where it's suddenly and you know starts walking and it but but that in itself is just a technical thing that you can describe. It's 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 that what actually makes it, what makes your sort of the hairs on the back of your neck stand up is, is much harder to really pin down. But it often I think it, it can be harmonic as well. Um it might be there's a there's a just a res a particular resolution of something. Um but it but I think it could also be a much bigger thing than I'm that comes back to structures and um, the idea of things like um, the golden ratio and all that, which which 
is very hard to do as a as an improvising musician, I suppose, because you you can't think you don't know how long the piece is going to be. So if you're trying to figure out the exact moment where the climax needs to be, how how can you do that if you don't know how long it's going to be? But I think if if you're um, you can sometimes if you, if you're being honest, the the thing will reach its peak where it needs to be. The solo will will do exactly what it needs to where it needs to. So it's it could be that as well. That's a fair answer. You haven't shot yourself in a foot or in a yeah or or bound yourself up paul thank you so much for coming on the jazz session today it's been lovely to chat to you and to get get to know you better and i'm just so so thrilled that i was introduced to your music through your publicist thank thank you for yeah thank you for having me on and likewise it's been been great to get to know you and i'll i'll definitely send you um a couple of songs to have a look at as well because i love what you do as well so it'd be great to hear please do i would love that Huge thank you to this week's guest, Paul Edis. His album, The Still Point of the Turning World, is out now on Lateralize Records. And as usual, I will make a note of all the tracks played throughout our conversation in the show notes for this episode and will include any links mentioned. A huge thank you to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music of this show. You're welcome to follow The Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh and on Facebook and Instagram at The Jazz Session. There is also a YouTube page to which you can subscribe if you want to watch video excerpts of my conversations with The Jazz Session's guests. A huge thank you to the patrons over at thejazzsession.com slash join. Head there today if you want to become a Patreon member. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in and to any support that you may shower upon this show, whether it's telling a friend, family or four-legged pal about how much you enjoy these conversations. My name's Nikki Schreira and I will see you next week for another conversation with an astounding jazz musician about their music and their process here on The Jazz Session. (laughs) 